0: Praise the Lord. Father God, we thank you again for the opportunity to come into your house to speak your word, word that I believe you've given for this hour to the church, and to those that would listen. And we thank you for that opportunity. We pray, God, your blessing. We pray your anointing that would come upon us to speak your heart through our lips that we might hear what the Holy Spirit would say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you on this subject, the son of a harlot, the son of a harlot. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, the Bible says, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. I want to talk to you about Jephthah. The Bible says in Judges chapter 11, verse 1, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. Now God called him a mighty man of valor. He said the same thing about Gideon in the book of Judges. A mighty man of valor is a warrior. He's a conqueror, a strong, and brave man. Amen. A man that's learned to survive. A man that developed his skills. But a man that lived in obscurity but was sought out in distress. Which we will explain in a few moments. His name means whom God sets free. Amen? Amen. And let's talk about what he went through. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Get the picture here. Here's a child that was born started to grow up and his parents had other children, biologically, and the Bible says that he was thrust out. What does it mean? It means when you drive someone out and divorce them. It means to cast out someone and drive them away, expel them. It means to surely put away. To expatriate, which means to send into exile. Think of that. To remove one from one's residence in his native land. To force to leave a country or place by official decree. To banish, deport, to ostracize. Jephthah was not wanted. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you were an outcast? Have you ever been belittled? Have you ever been ignored? This is what happened to Jephthah. But this is what's happened to millions of people in the world. And many Christians are plagued by what he experienced. Jephthah was a nobody in the eyes of the world, but more than that, he was a nobody in the eyes of his family. He was the son of a harlot. He was excommunicated, look at that word, from his family. His father's legitimate children drove him out. Being driven out, Jephthah learned how to survive, and he became a great and mighty warrior eventually for God. Others have been thrown out just like him. They've been thrown out by man and by their families. Men like Moses and Joseph and David and even Jesus. These were thrown out by men, but they were chosen by God. They were called, commissioned, and used mightily by God. Let's look at the life of Moses for a moment in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killeth the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. The same Moses that lived in his house for 40 years. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. I wonder what Moses was thinking at that moment after being 40 years in Pharaoh's house. And all of a sudden, he's all alone, ostracized, sitting by a well, thinking, what just happened? Joseph, in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, says this, And they took him, and they cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt and Judah said unto his brethren what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? What kind of brothers are these? They want to kill their own brother not nice, not nice. come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites let's make some money and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then they passed by the Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Nice bunch of fellows. Made a little bit of money on their brother. But before that, they put him in the pit without water and they were eating their lunch. Think about that. How about David in 1 Samuel 19 and 10? And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. Imagine. Imagine. Wanted to kill someone with a javelin. But he slipped out of Saul's presence and, and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. He escaped for many years. He was on the run. Had opportunity to, king kill, to kill King Saul but he refused to do it. Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Jesus, the Bible says in John 1 and 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Christ, the king, shunned by his family, shunned by the world, he who created the heavens and the earth. Outcasts. I'm sure we've all felt the impact of being an outcast one time or another in our life. Jeremiah the prophet said something in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. He said, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds. We heard that prophetically this morning, that word wounds. Listen, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion whom no man seeketh after. What is an outcast? Someone that's been expelled and thrust away. Someone that's been driven away and banished as a wife would put away her husband or vice versa in divorce. What's God saying? In Psalm 147 in verse 2, he says these words, The Lord doth build up is Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcasts of Israel. Isaiah 11:12 12 says, And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 56 and verse 8 reads, The Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 23 and verse 3 And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries which I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. The prophet Micah said in Micah chapter 2, verse 12 in the message version God said, I'm calling a meeting, Jacob. I want everybody back, all the survivors of Israel. I'll get them together in one place like sheep in a fold, like cattle in a corral, a milling throng of homebound people. Ezekiel the prophet had a great vision in the valley of dry bones. And he asked the Lord a question, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And the Lord spoke to him. And Isaiah saw the flesh come upon those bones once again. And God spoke to I Ezekiel when he said to prophesy to the four winds, to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west. And he prophesied to the four winds in the book of Ezekiel. And I believe that prophetic utterance came to pass when years ago the communist countries who were holding the outcasts, the Jewish people, six million who were killed, in the ovens of Hitler. Six million that were gassed. Six million that were taken to their death on trains. God spoke and said, I will bring the outcasts back. People ask me, what's the greatest sign of the coming of the Lord? I want to tell you what I believe the greatest sign of the coming of the Lord is. When Israel became a nation in 1948, and God started to call the Jewish people back from foreign countries, Communist countries had no idea why they were giving up the outcasts. They had no idea, but when God opens a door, no man can close that door, my friend. When God opens the gate, hallelujah, the sheep must come through. When God speaks and says, I will assemble my people one more time. And even a greater sign is when the Ethiopian Jews started coming back and pouring into Jerusalem. And my friend, look at the attendance in Jerusalem. Look at the population in 1948, and look at the population now. It's mushroomed. Their economy has boomed and mushroomed. Why? Because God is getting ready to come back once again. Hallelujah. And praise God, he includes us as the outcast, the Gentiles. Hallelujah. We have been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have been grafted into the vine that there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. He's coming. He's coming. The Bible says in verse 3, Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. What does it mean he fled? He bolted. What would you do when no one wants you? What would you do when there's a meeting with all the elders of the nation? And they all concur. He's got to go. He's got to go. The Bible says the word fled means to flee suddenly and to chase away to put someone to flight, to cause someone to run away. I want you to imagine how Jephthah felt that day when his parents and his siblings and the elders of the nation met and said, he's an outcast and we don't want him around here anymore. He's not one of us. Can you imagine how he felt? I can I believe he felt empty. I believe he was looking for purpose and meaning in his life. I believe he was looking for a cause and a legitimate recognition as a man. I believe he was bewildered and he sat down, probably like Moses, by a well, and probably started to think to himself, what just happened? Oh, he saw it coming. It wasn't done in just a day, my friend. He saw it materializing. He saw the hatred and the bitterness and the jealousy and the sibling rivalry. He saw it. But God had a mark on Jephthah. The Bible says that he met men who were vain. You know what he meant? He met men also that were empty. He met men that were disillusioned. He met men that were idle and had no self-worth. Men that were hungry... Men that were emptied out, poured out and tired, fatigued. I like to look at Luke chapter 5, when Jesus met the fishermen. And they had fished all night and they toiled all night and they took nothing. And Jesus asked them, can I use your boat as a platform to speak for a few minutes? And what did Jesus see? He saw broken hearts and empty vessels. Men who toiled all night and took nothing with no fish. They were tired. They were worn. They were dirty. They smelled like the sea. But yet Jesus asked them for a favor. Can I use your boat to preach? And they stayed for the sermon. Though they were fatigued. And though they were empty. And Jesus showed them a better way to live. He showed them a, a better way to think. He showed them that their thoughts weren't God's thoughts. That their ways wasn't his ways. And when he spoke to them to take the net and put it on the other side of the boat, they looked at him in a perplexing way thinking, he doesn't know about fishing. Because you don't do that on the Sea of Galilee during the day. You fish at night. But oh my friend, his ways are not our ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. And they pulled up a great, great bunch of fish that they had to share with others. The Bible says that these went out with Jephthah. It reminds me of when David was in the cave of Adullam, that he was running away from King Saul. That men from King Saul's army came who were distressed, who were in debt, who were tired, who had no self-worth, who were hungry, came to the cave of David at Adullam, 400. And David probably said, "What are you doing here?" And they probably responded and said, "Well, just like you, David, we're outcasts, and we have nowhere to go. We need someone to lead us." Follow closely. Gild's commentary says this. They got their living by hunting these vain men and by making excursions into the enemy's country, carrying off booty on which they lived. And Josephus says he maintained them, Jephthah did, at his own expense and paid them wages. Jephthah gave them employment. They went against the enemies and defeated them, and took the spoils, and Jephthah out of his own pocket paid them wages. And what does that do for a man? It gives a man recognition and respect because now he feels worthy of a cause and something that he's doing, earning money. Poole's commentary says this, that Jephthah employed them against the enemies of God and of Israel that bordered upon Israel. And particularly, listen to this, upon parties of the Ammonites, which made the Israelites more forward to choose him, Jephthah, for their chief captain in this war. They went out with him when he made excursions and attempts upon his and their enemies. What happened here? You know, never count the underdog out never count the little guy out. You know, I I was in a church one time, a very prestigious church and attending, and a businessman in the community of renown called me over one day and he said, son, I want to speak to you. And I said, yes, sir. He said, I have something to tell you that I never want you to forget. And I said, sir, what is that? He said, wherever you work and wherever you go, treat people with respect. Because one day you don't know that one of those persons might become your boss. Hmm. This was a man that was well-to-do. This is a man that sat down with me and spoke into my spirit and gave me some wisdom on how to conduct my life to respect those I worked with, especially because one of them possibly could become my boss in the future. In Judges chapter 11 and verse four, it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon, now the vain men of Jephthah, who were they dealing with? The enemies, the Ammonites. The children of Ammon made war against Israel and it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah. Oh, wait a minute. We need an outcast? We need someone that we have spurned, thrown out, had a great meeting about. The minds of the nation met with the elders and said, get rid of him. They went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. You know the process of time? 18 years, the Ammonites were assaulting and assailing Israel. 18 years, you've heard me say a hundred times, what we put up with, we eventually accept. What we put up with, we eventually accept. The Bible says they fetched him out of the land of Tab, Tab. What does it mean to fetch? It means to take him and accept him. To bring him back and receive him, to send for him. Jephthah was accomplished now because he was a warrior and more than a conqueror for God. And what was their request? Be our leader. Wait a minute, fellas. Am I talking to the same people that threw me out? Am I talking to the same brethren? Am I I talking to my parents? Am I talking to the elders of the nation? Don't you remember the meeting? Don't you remember the committee? Get rid of him. He's the son of a strange woman. As if he had something to say about his birth. As if he planned his own birth. He was born into this world. Like every other child that's born from the womb. What did they say? They said unto Jephthah in the verse 6, come and be our captain, that we might fight with the children of Ammon. You want me to be your captain? I'm pretty sure that he probably turned around and had a good laugh and said, you guys must be a joke. You guys must be a joke. You must be comedians on a late night talk show. Are you serious? you're calling me the outcast and now I just got promoted to captain wow what happened people what happened brothers what happened family now I'm somebody because you need me wow we captain you know what a captain is a magistrate a leader a guide a ruler Jephthah obviously had gifts, even though he was rejected. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. Right. We're so consumed with the thoughts of others. Right. We're so consumed. <clears throat> what does so-and-so think about me? Who cares? Listen very carefully to what I have to say to you this morning through the Lord. You must see yourself as a gift from God. Amen. You have God-given abilities and gifts, praise the Lord, that you must identify and allow God to work through them. And you must ask yourself a question this morning. What are your abilities? And what are your gifts that are unique to you? It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. I said so many times when I worked in the prison system to people who are some, sometimes quite annoying and thought they were somebody and I reminded them, you don't sign my paycheck and I don't drink coffee with everybody. You understand that? I had a voice when I needed a voice. I wasn't going to be browbeaten and abused and knocked down and be an outcast when I knew I was a man and a servant of the most high God. Called by God, chosen by God and commissioned by God to do our work for God. Captain. To do what? To fight. What does it mean to fight? It means to overcome. To devour. To prevail. To do battle against the Ammonites. To make war. The people were asking Jephthah and saying this to him. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're sick and tired of being assaulted and assailed by the Ammonites. They asked Jephthah for help knowing that God put Jephthah in the path, knowing he was God sent and one chosen by God to bring them deliverance and freedom. How did the tide change here? How did the census and the consensus of the community change? Because they heard about him. They heard about him with the vain men they heard how they were coming against the Ammonites who were trying to hurt Israel. Even though he was an outcast, even though he was considered a no count, he didn't forget the place where he came from, though he was thrown out of that place. Just like Joseph did not forget the place where he came from when the brethren came asking for food, he didn't forget his father's house. He didn't forget his dad. He didn't forget Jacob. He provided. He was there, even though 20 years had passed since father and son had a meeting. What are you saying, pastor? Here's what I'm saying this morning to you. The Bible says in verse 7, And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not you hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you are in distress? What is he doing? I'm going to tell you what he's doing. Which we don't do much anymore. He was reminding people that you hurt me. We let things slide. We let things go under the rug. We sweep it over. We stuff our feelings and our emotions that bring us ulcers and all kinds of problems of sickness and disease. Because we're afraid to get our voice and speak honestly from our hearts. At this moment in life, Jephthah was not inhibited and he reminded them of their offense. Jephthah reminds the elders who represent the entire tribe How they hurt him and abused him into having to flee for his life and for his safety. How he had to fend for himself. He was forsaken by an entire people and forced from his place of origin and birth. One that is abused must find their voice. I'll say that again. One that is abused must find their voice and be able to express the pain that has been inflicted upon them. They must find and learn courage and righteous boldness and speak out against those that have bullied them. A whole new personality is revealed when the abused comes to the place of realization that they are a somebody to God and not an uncommon human being. Been there myself. Been there. Been there. I've worked with abused women through the years. My wife and I have helped abused women get their voice back. I remember one particular incident of a very abusive husband, emotionally, verbally, and physically. And we began to counsel with his wife who had separated, You'd hardly hear her speak. Her voice was so low. She was accused, assaulted, assailed against. The woman was a broken spirit. We counseled 18 months. You say, "Pastor, that's a long time. Once a week for 18 months." And we finally introduced her husband at her request into the counseling. And he looked at her. He said, who are you? Oh, I said, that's the real her. Not the abused her. Not the assaulted her. She has a voice. And she will speak that voice. And that voice will scare you. Because you've never seen this voice before, sir. She's the boss now. She's in control. She has a voice. It took a long time, but she has a voice. Welcome to the new her. Welcome. Because this is what God has done for her. Jephthah obtained a voice. Peter on his rooftop. The Bible says in Acts 10.15 And the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God has cleansed, that call not thou common. Do you see yourself common? Do you see yourself as just ordinary? Do you apologize for your personality? Do you make excuses? Do you try to defend God made you come on my friend don't see yourself as common see yourself as uncommon you have uncommon favor with God you know what Jephthah was saying you guys just want to use me because you need me That's right. so now you're coming around or oh, but Jephthah was a wise man he was no fool he said, you just want to use me for war because you know I'm, I'm a conqueror and you know my men. He says, where do I stand after victory? Where do I stand after I help you win against the Ammonites? What's in it for me? What's in it? Don't use me and abuse me as you've done in the past because that's over. Those days are gone. That chapter has already, already been written. written. And God gave me a new book with a new chapter. So I want to ask you a question. What's your intent and intentions toward me as a man of God? Just to win the war? If that's it, there is no deal. I don't care if it's behind door number one or door number three. It doesn't make a difference. There is no deal here. No deal here. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now. Come on, listen to us. We need you. Oh, yeah. You're going to need the outcast one of these days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Oh, now they're offering him a package. They're offering him a package. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? Come on, people, you have a chance to vote. I'm not a fool anymore. I'm a man of God. God calls me a warrior. More than a conqueror. I'm not a fool. I'm not an idiot. And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord, now they're getting God involved here, when you make a vow, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not according to thy words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head, and captain over them. And Jephthah, listen to what he did, uttered all his words before the Lord in Mitzpah. He said, Lord, do you hear them? Do you hear them? Do you hear the vow and the promise that they made? The Lord said I heard them. <clears throat> it's been noted. If they break that vow, God cursed them. That's what he was saying, basically. Cursed them. Cursed the entire nation. Curse the elders. Curse them all. Because I'm not playing the fiddle here of the fool. Because you've called me to do a work for you. And I will defeat the Ammonites with my men. Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord, making God his witness to the conversation and to the promises made by the elders of Gilead, who represented the entire nation. So Jephthah goes to work now, and I want to read a few passages to you. In Judges chapter 11, verse 12, then Jephthah sent messages to the king of the Ammonites with a message, What's going on here that you have come into my country picking a fight? I like that. He's owning his own country that he was an outcast from. And he's being polite. Now he's trying to negotiate through peaceful negotiations and not war. The king of the Ammonites told Jethro's messengers, because Israel took my land when they came out of Egypt from the Arnon all the way to Jabbok and to the Jordan. Give it back peacefully and I'll go. okay king's making a statement. Jephthah again sent messages to the king of the Ammonites with this message. Jephthah's words. Israel took no Moabite land and no Ammonite land. When they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the desert as far as the Red Sea arriving at Kadesh. There Israel sent messages to the king of Edom saying, Let us pass through your land, please. But the king of Edom wouldn't let them. Israel also requested permission from the king of Moab, but he wouldn't let them cross either. So they stopped in their tracks at Kadesh, verse 18. So they traveled across the desert, circled around the lands of Edom and Moab. They came out east of the land of Moab and set camp on the other side of Arnon. They didn't set foot in in, uh, Moabite territory, for Arnon was the Moabite border. Israel then sent messages to Sihon, king of the Amorites, at Heshbon, the capital. Israel asked, Let us pass, please, through your land on the way to get to our country. But Sion didn't trust Israel to cross and cut over through the land. He got his entire army together and set up camp at Jabba's and fought Israel. Verse 21. But God, the God of Israel, gave Sion and all his troops to Israel. Israel defeated them. Israel took all the Amorite land. All the Amorite land from Arnon to Jabba and from the desert to the Jordan. Now verse 23, important. It was God. It was God, the God of Israel, who pushed out the Amorites in favor of Israel. So who do you think you are trying to take it over? You want to fight? You think this is your land? God gave us this land, people. King of Ammon, it's not your land. We tried every different way to pass through. And God got sick and tired of it. And he caused us to win. So verse 24. He appeals to the king. Why don't you just be satisfied with what your God, Chemosh, some false God, gives you. And we'll settle for what God, our God, gives us. Simple. Do you think you're going to come off better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he get anywhere in opposing Israel? Did he risk war? All this time, it's been 300 years now that Israel has lived in Heshbon and its villages in Aurora and its villages in all the towns along Arnhem. Why didn't you try to snatch them away then? If you wanted it so badly, why didn't you fight for it? No, I haven't wronged you. But this is an evil thing that you are doing to me starting a fight. Today, this is the deal. Today, God, the judge... Will decide between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. Put up or shut up. Put up or shut up. Quit your nonsense. You want to fight? I'll give you a fight. If that's the way you want to do business? I'm trying to peace, no, no negotiations, Jephthah. Just saying. And you want to wage war? Okay. Count the course. Look what it says here. In Judges chapter 11 and verse 28, and this was a sore spot in the sight of Jephthah. But the king of Ammon paid no attention to Jephthah's message. What happened? He ignored him. Are you going to ignore me? Okay. You're going to ignore me like I'm a no, I'm a no count. I'm a grown man. I'm a warrior for God. I'm the captain over the nation now. And you're going to just ignore me. Like I don't exist. You're making a big mistake. You're making a huge error. You don't ignore a grown man. You don't ignore a warrior and a soldier in the army of the Lord. I go back to King David. In 1 Samuel 17, 28, he had a wise guy brother by the name of Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the willfulness of thine heart for thou hast come down that thou mightest see the battle. This is when... Goliath was disrespecting King Saul's army. And they were all hiding. And David went down. And his big mouth older brother, big mouth, wise guy, punk. Why don't you just go back to the barns and clean out the stalls with your few sheep, little sunny boy? Eliab. You see, Eliab wasn't anointed with the horn of oil from Samuel, but David was. What was happening here? Eliab was the oldest brother who wasn't chosen by God to be the king. All he could do was discourage, discredit, and disrespect David as the youngest brother in his desire to face, fight, and fatally kill Goliath. Eliab wanted David to fail. Listen, you are a sick person. You are a sick human being who wants another individual who is doing right to fail. There's something wrong with your mind. Listen to what I'm saying. This is what we see in our country. We see people that want to be in power, that want our country actually to fail. Think about it. They don't care about you. They don't care about me, my children, or grandchildren. They don't care about our churches. They want America to fail so they can sit in the seat of power. Shame on you. You are diseased and you are sick human beings. You are modern day Iliads. But let me remind you, there are modern-day Davids that are rising up in the earth to come against the powers of evil through the power of prayer and the weapons of spiritual warfare that God has given the church. So be be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Eliab wanted David to fail even if it meant Goliath triumphing over Israel. Eliab was eaten up with jealousy. That was his problem. It was a bitter root. He belittled David by referring to his sheep as few and implying that David's life was insignificant and meaningless. Go home, Farmer Gray. Go home, Mr. Green Jeans. He wanted David to look and feel bad. It's sad when someone wants you to to make you look and feel bad. The question you must ask yourself when someone criticizes you is the following. Is the person criticizing me a good role model? You want to criticize me? Be a good role model. You want to sit down with me and tell me that I'm wrong or I'm going in the wrong direction? Let me be able to look at your life and see a godly man or woman who's going to give me some good orderly direction who's not diseased and jealous but wants my good, wants me to succeed, wants me to be lifted up from the earth if I have fallen down? Is the person criticizing me a good role model? Does he have my best interest in mind? It's a question that we must ask ourselves because there's so many voices and so many people speaking and belittling and abusing and accusing and assaulting and assailing other human beings. Does he have my best interest in mind? Is he trying to help me or hinder me? Is he trying to be a blessing to me or a cursing? If his only desire is to bring me down, then why allow this individual to be your judge? Why allow certain people in your life who just want to bring you grief? Why? Haven't we been abused enough? Listen. I remember as a little child, a little kid, riding the buses in Brooklyn, riding the trains from one end to the next, and getting back on the train on the other side and riding back, trying to escape from chaos and confusion. Sometimes abuse. Looking for one person to smile at me. Just one. I was standing at the bus stop, waiting to get on the bus. And I said to myself, today there'll be no hollering where I live. Today, today, it never came. So I'd ride the bus. I'd ride the trains all the way to Coney Island and back. I loved the trains, because the ride was soothing. It gave me peace as a youngster, looking for someone just to smile at me, looking for someone, even in my youth, to affirm me, to confirm me that I was a somebody, that I wasn't an outcast or a piece of junk or garbage on the side of the road, that I wasn't an idiot, that I wasn't a moron. That I was a person that would amount to something. Mm-hmm. Not hearing the words will never amount to anything. Mm-hmm. No. I worked my way up. Because mm-hmm. God has hand on me and I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worked my way back up mm-hmm. until people started stopping talking bad about me. And look at me in a different light. Like what's happened to him? And then I really rocked your boat when I became a Christian. That sent the elders of the family into a tizzy. Didn't. But you know what? 47 years later, I am a man of God. I am a warrior for the king. I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. And I'm here to do work for God, for my father. I'm about his business. Yes. Nothing else matters right now. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters anymore. Right. You know why? Because I just want to hear him say, well done. Do well done. It doesn't matter if people say that to me. Right. It doesn't matter if my family says that to me. It doesn't matter anymore. Because right. I just want to hear his voice. Oh, yes. That I've done good. Mm-hmm. That I've kept the covenant that he made with me. And the vows and the promises that we've made to each other. That's all that counts. The Spirit of the Lord in Judges eleven twenty-nine, 29 came upon Jethro. We're going to need the Spirit of the Lord to come upon us especially in desperate times and in desperate situations. And he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mitzpah of Gilead and from Mitzvah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon we cannot accomplish one thing outside of God don't ever think you're so smart don't ever think it's your intellect or your good looks that are getting you through or your persuasive ways that's Jacob's spirit that's the con man's spirit That's the manipulative spirit, not God's spirit. Check it out. It's in the Bible. We cannot accomplish one thing outside of God. We must have God's spirit upon us, especially in the day we're living. It's vicious, my friends. People are sleeping. People are saying it's going to get better. It's going to be okay. Really? Where do you get that news from? Where do you get that report from? It's going to get better? When the Bible says the complete opposite of what you're saying? Are you serious? It's the time to call upon God. So what happened? Jephthah made a fatal mistake. He made a fatal mistake. And you've heard this pastor and this preacher for years say, the decisions that you make today will affect your every tomorrow. Listen to what I'm saying. He made a fatal mistake. He relapsed emotionally. Listen to me. Be careful what you say. In verse 30 of Judges 11, Jephthah made a vow before God. A vow. If you give me a clear victory over the Ammonites, why is he even saying that? He's a warrior. He's a conqueror. He's already defeated those Ammonites in different places with his vain men. He says, Then I'll give to God whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me. When I return in one piece from among the Ammonites, I'll offer it up in a sacrificial burnt offering. Foolish mistake. He wasn't sure of himself at that moment. He didn't pull the trigger. He hesitated. He stayed in the pocket too long before he threw the ball and he got sacked making a stupid vow. Be careful what you say because God will hold you to your words, He'll hold you to your promises. He was making a deal with God. He was getting unsure of himself. He was getting unsure. Did Jephthah want to be somebody of his own doing? Okay, God, make me look good. You already look good, Jephthah. There's nothing to prove. There's nothing to prove, son. Did his hurt cause him to make a rash vow? Did he relapse emotionally for a moment? Listen to what I'm saying to you. Did triggers and memories cause Jethro to propose a deal with God? Did he relapse emotionally for a moment that caused him great grief for himself and for his daughter? Listen. When you make a decision, and you know that you know that you know that you know that God has helped you make that decision, pull the trigger and be done with it. Don't sit back and regret And say, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. You seek the word. You seek him in prayer. You fast and pray. You ask for counselors to come into your life. To hash it all out. And then you pull the trigger. And you live with it. Don't second guess yourself. Don't turn around and look and say, Did I get on the wrong train? Did I get on the wrong path? Make that decision if you know that God has spoken to you. Amen. What happened? Verse 32. Then Jephthah was able to fight the Ammonites and God gave them to him. He beat them soundly. He would have beat them soundly without making a vow to God. All the way from Aurora to the, around to, around Mineth, as far as Abel, Keraman, Twenty cities, a massacre, Ammonites brought to the knees by the people of Israel. A massacre. Yeah. Come on, Jethro, that would have happened anyway. Yeah. Why you open your mouth and make a vow before God? That's going to change the course of the history of your family, your posterity, and especially your daughter. Watch what you say and be careful what you profess. People run their mouths. Get all the facts. Amen. People run their mouths. We see that in news now. We see people who are heralded, who are criminals, who have been held in high esteem as good people. Right. But we hear the other side of the coin, and we find out that that story wasn't really true. It was fictitious, it was fake news. Yes, it was fake news. But people do not want to believe the truth because they want to continue to justify burning buildings, throwing Molotov cocktails at police, taking down monuments, looting buildings, thinking the world owes them something and they should be out looking for a job and going to work like everybody else. Let me close. Jethro came home to Mitzpah His daughter ran from the house. Remember the vow? The first thing that comes out of my house to welcome him home. Dancing to tambourines. Little girl was so happy. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. She was his only child. He had no son or daughter except her. When he realized who it was, he ripped his clothes saying, Oh, dearest daughter, I'm dirt, I'm despicable. My heart is torn to shreds. I made a vow to God and I can't take it back. She said, Dear Father, if you made a vow to God, do to me what you vowed. God did his part and saved you from your Ammonite enemies. What a gracious daughter. What a gracious daughter. Keep your promise, Daddy. Daddy. We're talking about God here. And then she said to her father, she knew the deal, or else she wouldn't have said the following But let this one thing be done for me. Give me two months to wander through the hills and lament my virginity, since I will never marry. I and my dear friends. Oh, yes, go, he said. He sent her off for two months. She and her dear girlfriends went among the hills lamenting that she would never marry. And at the end of two months, she came back to her father. He fulfilled the vow with her that he had made. She never slept with a man. It became a custom in Israel that for four days, every year, the young women of Israel went out to mourn for the daughter of Jethro, the Gileadite. She wasn't given to human sacrifice because it was forbidden in Leviticus 18:21, Leviticus 20, verses 2 through 5, Deuteronomy 12:31, and Deuteronomy 18 verses 10 through 12. He was supposed to be given to human sacrifice, but he didn't do it because of the law, and thank God. But she paid the penalty. She remained a virgin, never married, and that's where Jephthah's posterity ended. Because he made a foolish vow. He opened his mouth without thinking. And for one moment he forgot that he was more than a conqueror through him that loves us. God already told him who he was. God already gave him identification. God already gave him the realization of what his purpose and cause of life was. There was one to come who was abused Accused, cast out as an outcast. And as I close, I read two versions. Isaiah 53, 1. Who believed, hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. Listen. Easy version. Who believes what we have heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to make, take a second look. He was looked down and passed over a man who suffered. Who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. Thought he was scum. But the fact is. It was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements. All the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself. That God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins. That did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins, he took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. Who knows better than Jesus about being abused? Being an outcast, being assaulted and assailed, and looked upon as a no count. Who knows better than Jesus Christ, who hung on that cross for me and for you, marred beyond recognition, as the people he loved looked at him, and looked upon him, hardly believing that he was a human being anymore on that cross. Marred, disfigured, tortured. He knows my pain. He knows how to fix it. He knows how to deal with it. I still remind myself, no matter what I'm going through or will go through, I am more than a conqueror through him that loves me and that doesn't change. I am a servant of the Most High God. I have been called by God to do a work for God in the last days and nobody will take that away from me. You can demean me, you can ignore me, you can abuse me, you can assault me, you can assail me, whatever you desire. But one fact remains. When I sit in that chair there, the second one on the first row, That's my prayer seat. I've prayed hundreds and hundreds of hours in that chair. And standing near that speaker. And I've prayed victories. Many for you and for the church and for my family and for myself. Hours and hundreds of hours before God. No one will ever take that away from me. Because that seat there is where I meet God. That seat there is where I commune with God. And that seat there is where God affirms me and calls me more than a conqueror through him that loves me. For so many years, I saw myself as a prophecy came into my life by a man I met one time who sat in this church. I never saw him again. He said, you see yourself as a man that has shrunk And I did for a long time, like I was a nobody, insignificant. But God said He sees me as a giant, and I accepted that word that day. I am a giant in the house of the Lord. Not of myself, not what I've done. I know where I came from. When I go into the spirit world, I want to tell you something, my friend. And I'm with Jesus. They recognize who we are. They recognize the prayers, the fastings. They recognize the covenant and the vows that have been made through the years that God has spoken into my spirit to be that man of God. No one will ever take that away from me because God has inscribed that in my heart for eternity. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. You've given a deep word, an emotional word. And it's a word of healing. And Lord, I know that people will listen to this in different places. Some will view it in different places. And I know that there's people who have been abused, accused, assaulted, assailed, and left for dead as an outcast. But I want to speak to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. As a man of God as a servant of the Most High King. I pronounce healing in the name of Jesus. I pronounce deliverance in the name of Jesus. I pronounce healing upon you in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power and the blood of the Lamb. Jesus says, rise and be healed. Stand to your feet. Take up thy bed and walk. Come out in the name of Jesus. Come out and allow God to break the chains, break Every chain. In the name of Jesus. He accomplished that on the cross. You are no longer an outcast. But you are a child of God. A son of God. A daughter of God. You are more than a conqueror. Through him that loves you. You can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens you. Rise up. And be healed daughter. Mother rise up. And be healed. Son. I call you right now in the name of Jesus to come forth and rise up and be healed. Little girl, little boy, I know what they're doing to you. I command in the name of Jesus for every enemy of your soul to fall by your feet, to cease and desist in the name of Jesus Christ and for you to come forward in the name of Jesus, for someone to take you under their wings, to give you a place of safety and security and love. I command it in the name of Jesus. I command it in the name of Jesus. You are no longer in bondage, but come forth in the name of Jesus. And those of you in human human sex trafficking, those of you that take advantage of children I come against you in the power and the name of the blood of Jesus Christ. I come against you. Because the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob will curse you. Because you are an abomination unto the Lord. And I come against you in Jesus' name. That you cease and desist. That you come to naught. That you fall down. And even lose your breath as God would take life from you for what you're doing to little children. You are despicable and a disgrace to human society. What you do, you do in hiding. What you do, you do in secret. But all that's in secret and all that's in hidden shall be revealed. Not only today, but on judgment day. And you will be judged and you will be thrown into the lake of fire where there is no rescue. Mock the words of the preacher today, my friend. You will face judgment. In Jesus' name, amen.